Come sunset, it's absolutely beautiful. It's gray and pink. This is Florence Lubier, who's lived here in Thetford Mines, Quebec, her entire life. It's pink. It's absolutely beautiful. And the view she loves to watch turn pink at sunset is the rim of one of the town's abandoned asbestos mines. Oui, c'est impressionnant. This is the Undark Podcast. I'm Lydia Chain. Asbestos, which you've probably heard of as a material used in insulation that's been tied to cancer, is actually a set of minerals mined in places like the Canadian province of Quebec. Mining of these strong, fire-resistant fibers began in this region in the 1870s and lasted right up until the last decade. The mining operations left a massive imprint on this landscape. Not just the pits of the open-air mines, but piles of ground-up mining waste left over after the asbestos was extracted. An estimated 800 million tons of them throughout the province. Today, a number of companies are eager to transform that waste, extracting valuable materials like magnesium and eliminating any remaining asbestos in the process. But health officials worry this new industry might come with some of the same problems as the one Quebec finally seemed to be moving away from. Reporter Emma Jacobs took a trip to Canada's asbestos belt to learn more. Mountains of dark gray, ground-up stone slope up from the roads all around Bedford Mines. In French, they're known as the Alps. And they loom over Florence Lubier's childhood memories. I even used to play in the Alde, the piles, or even occasionally went to bring my father his meals when he had to work through them. It's always been a part of my life. I'm surrounded by the Alde. These man-made mountains have slopes too steep and tough to support much vegetation. They're scattered around Detford Mines, where Marc-Alexandre Brousseau is mayor. When we're talking about 400 million tons of sand from the mines in our area, I'm not even talking of elsewhere. That won't disappear with the wave of a magic wand. This is one reason why he thinks companies looking to turn some of that material into valuable products should be welcomed with open arms. But he's been feuding for a long time with public health authorities in Quebec who say the former mining towns don't fully appreciate the health dangers of asbestos and aren't prepared to protect workers and residents, including his region's public health director, Philippe Lessard. Ça a l'air d'être un risque. It may look like a voluntary risk that people accept, but that's not necessarily my interpretation. I don't think it's voluntary from the moment that people don't have the right information and the correct perception of the risk to make that decision. It's not that people here deny that asbestos can cause disease. It was seen here earlier than most. As early as the 1930s, medical evaluations performed on Canadian miners revealed that they were getting sick from inhaling asbestos fibers into their lungs. Mining companies worked to limit the spread of information that could damage their business. Asbestos was marketed as a miracle fiber, fire-resistant and safe enough to replace flammable cotton as fake snow on film sets, including the 1939 movie The Wizard of Oz. In the mining towns, asbestos once fell like snow around the mills where it was processed, and dust hung over entire neighborhoods. 
But in the decades that followed, mine workers in Quebec held a series of strikes with demands including better working conditions to prevent the lung diseases many miners developed. Not only did Florence Lubier's father and grandfathers work in asbestos mines, but so did her brother and her husband. She joined the Women's Strike Support Committee in Thetford Mines in 1975. We really wanted there to be an improvement, to have a system to reduce dust. Afterwards, Lubier says, the mining companies in the region did install equipment to control loose asbestos fibers in the mines and mills where the rock was broken apart to extract the asbestos fibers. And she has come away from all of this holding two beliefs simultaneously. One, that asbestos can cause disease, but also that the material can be handled and used safely with the right equipment. The work was improved, the systems... People had areas where they had masks, too. I also have a brother who worked testing the asbestos, and he has asbestosis today, has trouble breathing. He would tell me, I didn't know you needed to wear those things. They didn't know. Today, it's well organized. More and more, it's well done. People are protected more. But by the time miners in Quebec were winning their battles against the companies for these protections, it was becoming clear to people around the world that asbestos could cause health problems, not just where it was produced, but where it was transformed and used. Alice Jefferson is also dying from an asbestos-related disease. She has a rare form of cancer. In the early 80s, a British documentary called Alice, A Fight for Life introduced viewers in Europe and the United States to a woman who had developed cancer after working only briefly with asbestos in a factory decades before her diagnosis. Alice's cancer is called mesothelioma, or cancer of the lung lining. Like with any carcinogen, not everyone exposed to asbestos will develop cancer. But the documentary broadcast to a much wider audience the links scientists had found between even low levels of asbestos exposure and increased risk of developing cancer even much later. Fibers that got trapped in the lungs or other parts of the body could produce biological changes and damage to cells that eventually cause disease. The documentary showed workmen now coming to pull out asbestos insulation. From a London housing project. It's such a dangerous job. The men wear masks with a separate oxygen supply and three layers of protective clothing, which must be decontaminated after use. Demand for asbestos was falling. Over the next several decades, asbestos would be banned in more than 50 countries. But its impacts linger today. A recent study on 2016 data found asbestos to be the workplace carcinogen, accounting for the highest number of deaths. The Canadian asbestos industry continued to lobby for a long time that the type of asbestos found here was safer than others. It might be marginally, but it's still a carcinogen, according to numerous health organizations. Asbestos mining in Quebec and exports continued, largely to developing countries. The last two mines in this region only closed in 2012. One in Thetford Mines, the other, Jeffrey Mine, is about an hour's drive south and west in the town of Asbestos, Quebec. Oh look, this is it. Jeffrey Mine. The process to mine asbestos created mountains upon mountains of gravel, still laced with trace amounts of asbestos. 
And of the 800 million tons of mine waste left in the province, most of it is concentrated around these two areas. Health experts think the wind probably carries fibers from the mounds into the surrounding air to this day. And the piles are difficult and expensive to move safely. And then in asbestos, there's the pit from the open air mine, more than a mile wide, just across a road from the nearest homes. Something to my right that's very flat and terraced. And I can tell that must be the mine. Meanwhile, city councilor Alain Roy says the town of Asbestos is still rebuilding after the loss of its founding industry. He says since the 1980s, the population has fallen from 11,500 to around 7,000 today. Roy says when the mine was profitable, money wasn't required to be put aside for the restoration of the site. When Johns Manville, the American company that owned the mine, filed for bankruptcy over health lawsuits in the 80s, the mine was sold to its local managers. And he says from what he can tell, they don't seem to have the money to restore the site. The town of Asbestos has made progress in diversifying its economy, even including some mining-related tourism. It holds a big summer festival featuring slacklining across the mine. When we spoke, the town was also in the process of choosing a new name. After years of debate over whether that would be a rejection of local history, having a name other than Asbestos, city government hopes, will make it easier to attract new businesses. But one industry that has come knocking are companies interested in transforming, you could say recycling, the piles of mining residues to extract other valuable materials. Anyone entering the site must wear long sleeve shirts, a safety helmet, safety glasses. In a field just outside of town, giant mesas of residues rise up behind the processing facility of Alliance Magnesium. The company's founder, Joel Fournier, holds up what looks like a baby food jar of dark gray sand and gravel. What you're seeing here, in fact, is the, uh, the, the residue. Okay? That was essentially the rocks containing the asbestos. What's left, anyway, after rock from Jeffrey Mine was broken down to extract asbestos fibers. To Fournier, who has a PhD in chemistry, they look like a valuable resource. When you look at those mountains, what you have to consider is one quarter of those mountains could be considered as magnesium metal. To extract that magnesium, Alliance Magnesium trucks in mining waste to this facility, Then they grind up the gravel even further and treat it with hydrochloric acid. As a side effect, the process also destroys the remaining asbestos fibers. Electricity is pumped through the remains to separate the metal. Um, And this is the finished product? Yeah, exactly. This is a big ingot. So if you're, you're, let's say, you want to practice your... I'm I'm a little nervous. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I'll take it. Oh, my God. It's heavy, a piece the size of a big log, weighs over 17 pounds, but a steel ingot would weigh 70% more. The car industry used this material to reduce the weight, to meet the new standard regulation for the emissions of those cars. So meaning that the more the car is light, okay, the less it will emit because it will be lighter, so it will consume less energy. The problem with that equation, he says, is that right now, 
Most magnesium comes from China, where the production process consumes a lot of energy. That is using a lot of thermal coal. The electricity here in Quebec is mostly generated from hydroelectric dams. Combined with the composition of the rock here and the fact that it's already out of the ground, Fournier can produce magnesium at a fraction of the carbon emissions of Chinese magnesium. So it means that this is uh, a very, very positive, let's say, mass balance, if I can say, for the CO2 globally. Right now, he's scaling up from a pilot plant to a commercial-scale factory, with hopes to eventually produce 35,000 tons of magnesium a year from mine debris. But there are other proposed projects as well, both around asbestos and Thetford mines, and the possibility of industrial-scale operations stirring up asbestos-laced waste, also sometimes called mine tailings, has worried public health officials, locally and nationally. You have to get those tailings to a processing center in some way. You have to disturb that pile. Paul Demers is the director of the Occupational Cancer Research Center in Toronto. Get it onto some kind of conveyor belt or some kind of vehicle that's then going to take it someplace. And that certainly increases the risk. I mean, it's very difficult to control exposure under those circumstances. A government study of residues in and around Thetford mines found they contained up to 40 percent asbestos by volume. Most samples had between 10 and 25 percent. Fournier and others say they have ways to keep their workers from inhaling loose fibers, such as wetting the material to keep down dust and having workers wear masks. But Demers says we can tell from, for example, the construction industry that best practices, things as simple as keeping masks on all the time, aren't always easy to be consistent about. It's difficult to do it correctly and it's expensive. Uh, Now, this industry, if it works out the way they're proposing, it could be very lucrative. So maybe they can afford to do this the right way. But we have to start with the fact that it almost always is a problem. He's concerned that Quebec's standard for workplace exposure to certain types of asbestos remains 10 times higher, more permissive, than what's allowed in most of Canada. And once airborne, Demers says... Asbestos fibers can get brought home by workers on their clothes or cars and be inhaled by their families. Then there are the people who live nearby, particularly in Thetford Mines, where some piles are right up against homes, which is already a concern before any projects that would disturb them further. Studies have found that it's not just people who are exposed to asbestos in the workplace, but others who have developed an increased risk of uh, mesothelioma. It may not be a risk that's easy to see in a small population, but it's worrying to health officials in Quebec like Philippe Lessard. He's been public health director for the region, including Thetford Mines, for two decades and says it's not easy to talk about the health risks of asbestos here. Asbestos is a positive term in this region, at a cultural level, at an economic level, since, since forever. It's only in the last few years that there's been a movement that's led people to consider that asbestos can cause health problems. And even then, people don't have the same level of caution as public health professionals might like. People ride ATVs up and down the mounds. Another thing he points to is how casually the mining residues were spread around the town of Thetford Mines. 
Even though it was known there was some asbestos left in them, they were so abundant and convenient. They were used in construction, for paving parking lots and terraces. In 2009, even city government had contracts with private companies that used the mining residues as road abrasive. That's the sand spread across slippery city streets in the winter to keep drivers safe. Lassalle called for that to stop, and health officials suggested that protective measures be taken during activities like road construction in the presence of asbestos. That makes public works much more expensive here and created a perception among some, at least, that strict regulations are at odds with economic growth, including Mayor Marc-Alexandre Brousseau. If you take a shovel to the ground anywhere within city limits, you're likely to turn up some of that gray sand. The mayor is one of many people who think the fears of low-level asbestos exposure are exaggerated. We're in a situation of theory over reality. We're the living proof. Today, I'm 44 years old in good health. If it were true that contact with a single asbestos fiber, you'll die 30 years later, because that's the latency period of the illness, I don't think there'd be anyone of my generation alive today. Shortly after Lessard expressed concerns about the mine waste transformation projects and tourist visits to the mine, Brousseau wrote a public letter to the health minister calling for his dismissal. Quote, like a dictator, he has thrown out all logic and common sense and is waging open war on our region. End quote. Now, researchers don't say that anyone who comes in contact with a single asbestos fiber will die. The risk of developing cancer is related to a combination of factors. There's genetic susceptibility, cumulative exposure over time, and the fact that cancer is the result of a process gone wrong that may not follow in everyone exposed. What scientists say is that there is no safe threshold, no amount they can say is safe. But Brousseau argues people here know the risk better than anyone and that they know it's low enough and manageable enough for the recycling projects to be undertaken safely. Knowing that asbestos is carcinogenic, we recognize that. Knowing that we know it, we know how to use it, we know how to protect ourselves. We'll do it adequately for everyone to work safely. But at the same time, why not use this wealth of material that's at our fingertips? The province of Quebec and federal government have already put tens of millions of dollars of funding behind reuse projects, nearly 41 million Canadian into Fournier's company alone. But the health concerns also convinced the province to order an environmental review that included a series of public hearings over the course of this past winter where proponents of the projects argued there is a balance to be reached between caution and strict restrictions and the promise of new jobs and clearing up some of this troublesome waste at a profit. Bonjour, oui. Bonjour. This Alors, is Jacques Larouche of the Thetford Mines Region's Economic Development Organization speaking before the review panel in February. 
Listen, he says, there arrives a moment, quote, when we need to reach a compromise between saying, we obviously hope to live in a world where everyone's safe, there's no illness, and we all die of old age at 100. Okay, but it doesn't work like that. We know it. There's a moment when people balance things, make an arbitrage with the economic stakes, end quote. LaRouche also told the panel he's not from this region, that he came here to retire. And the head of the review team, Joseph Zayed, took the opportunity to ask a question. Out of curiosity, did you choose a home near the Alps? No, no, he says, I live in the country. But my daughter bought a house next to the Alps with her four young children. Zayed wants to know if she had done any sort of air quality testing before moving in. Never, never, LaRouche says, and no concerns. Except, he says, she has started to ask herself some questions after hearing people react as if she lives somewhere dangerous. What I'm trying to say, LaRouche concludes, is that there absolutely needs to be some common sense in this. But whose common sense? Paul Demers, the occupational health researcher, says in many resource-based economies, you may find a higher tolerance for risk than people have elsewhere. From the public health point of view, where you, we believe we need to protect the population, it may mean that action is taken even when a community doesn't necessarily perceive that they want it. Uh, our job is to protect the public, uh, not to, you know, not simply to let people know that there is a risk there, but to actually try to remove the risk. Still, even he says, after taking part in the hearings, that the answer is not obvious to him. I actually got a much better idea that it's not that black and white of an issue. Realizing that they've got, you know, mountains of asbestos tailings that have a significant proportion of them being asbestos that they don't know how to get rid of and are periodically disturbed in one way or another, uh, either through natural forces or through uh, other types of uh, contact with people, let's say, in recreational vehicles or things like that. But if you're developing a whole new industry involving asbestos, he says, it's important not to be overconfident that the risk is a thing of the past. I'm hoping that we're kind of leaving that history of being permissive on allowing exposure to asbestos uh, behind in Canada. Uh, And certainly making sure that whatever they do with those tailings is done properly You know, what you want to hear is everybody uh, speaking from the same page of saying, yes, this is the the highest priority is going to is not exposing people while we're creating this new industry. The Environmental Review Panel's report with recommendations is due in July. But how they're all implemented will involve political decisions as well as scientific ones. And Canada has seen in the past when it comes to asbestos, those interests don't always align. Emma, thanks for joining us and also for bringing us this story. Uh, Thank you for working on it with me. As these towns are exploring the idea of boosting industry using mining waste, what other concerns are they weighing? So there's one other set of contaminants that we, we didn't really get into here that are on some people's minds because there was a a sort of short-lived attempt to do a, a similar sort of magnesium recycling a little over a decade ago that failed just because the market was very different then. 
And at the time, it was observed that there were some chemicals that were released that that were also carcinogens that were sort of byproducts of this process. And, you know, while Alliance Magnesium would say that the technology has improved, that they're using a different process, this is not even an issue to their minds. That's actually still a real concern among residents in, in the town of asbestos. I mentioned this to Paul Demers, and he said to me, in his opinion, or, or personally, he would be less worried by these chemicals. These They're, they're called PCBs or, or dioxins or furans. They make him less nervous because they're measurable. So you know if they're there or not. They're a little easier to detect than asbestos fibers are. That takes, you know, a lot of like counting fibers by hand under a microscope. So not to say that they're they're not dangerous and he would want them out there. But, you know, there, there is some element maybe of the comfort with the carcinogen, you know, as, as opposed to others that might be new to a community. This sort of push and pull between public health and industry has been in the news a lot recently due to COVID-19. Was that on your mind at all as you were reporting this piece? I mean, yes, a fair bit. I think this this tension is present in so many different circumstances. It's it's just we're sort of having that conversation more more loudly and centrally than we normally do. I think the air pollution in cities, that being sort of something that we as urban residents do accept and, and don't think about an awful lot, even though it is it does cause disease, um, that's something people in asbestos or Thetford Mines, which are you know much smaller, more rural communities, you know they'll they'll say, well, you're okay with that. Why is it strange to you that we're we're comfortable with a higher level of ambient asbestos fibers? Coronavirus is is you know a a much more dramatic and and much more you know sort of central and all consuming version of a conversation that's had a lot in lots of different communities and lots of different contexts about you know what what is an acceptable level of risk and what are the the economic costs or benefits of taking you know different approaches or or enforcing different types of public health limitations Emma Jacobs is a multimedia journalist based in Montreal her reporting for this story was made possible in part by a fellowship from the Institute for Journalism and Natural Resources. Thanks also to Bruce Case, Sandrine Rostrello, Dave Davies, Brenna Daldorf, and Bassam Shaheen. Our theme music is produced by the Undark team, and additional music in today's episode came from Kevin McLeod at Incompetech. I'm your host, Lydia Chain. See you next month. <laughs>